This is Airing Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity providing information and support for those of us living with pain and for healthcare professionals. I'm Paul Evans and this is the third in a series of programmes to support military veterans living with chronic pain. It's funded by the McRobert Trust and Forces in Mind Trust. Now, by definition, the biopsychosocial model of pain implies that the biological, psychological and social environment all feed into a person's perception of pain. This means that a physical injury or trauma, that's the biological element which can lead to chronic pain, cannot be treated in isolation from a psychological trauma such as many soldiers on active service might experience. So, what help is available for those service personnel who have been damaged by both physical and psychological trauma when they leave the armed forces? There are, of course, services throughout the UK that provide psychological support to ex-service personnel. In the northwest of England, the Pennine Military Veteran Service for Greater Manchester and Lancashire is in Bury. Psychologist Dr Alan Barrett is its clinical lead. We see people for psychological problems such as depression, anxiety and, and trauma. However, at any one time, about a third of our clients have experience of a long-term health condition and the most common of which is pain management. Things like early onset musculoskeletal conditions from just the exercise and activities of, of, of what being in the military entails and, and obviously injuries, people with combat-related injuries. So pain, although it's not the specialty of a service like ours, is something we can't ignore and it's something that we have to incorporate into the management of. And as a psychologist, I'm particularly interested in the psychological aspect of what makes pain an individual experience. You know, there's, there's so many elements of pain that we can't really measure physically. So we very much rely on subjective feedback. That's Dr Alan Barrett, clinical lead of the Pennine Military Veteran Service. We were joined by former service user, Army veteran Gabriel Gadikor. In 2007, Gabriel was serving in Iraq when he injured his back in a fitness exercise. Two days later, his tent was hit by a rocket. I just came out uh, off a night shift, went through the cookhouse, which is where we eat the dining hall, picked up an egg straight into my tent to have a few hours of sleep. And then the rocket hit. Normally, when the rocket is about to hit and it is definitely coming inside the hospital complex. There is this defense mechanism that shoots down the, uh, I mean, the rockets and the mortars. We call it the phalanx. It makes some sound out of experience because we've been there for some time. When you hear that squeaky sound, then you know that definitely it is in. There's nothing you can do about it, yes. So when I heard that thing, that was it. I remember when I first got into Iraq and the rockets were coming in, I was kind of like scared from the beginning. But then as time went on, it became normal. If there was no rocket attack, it is abnormal. Yes, so it was like, okay, we are here now. When we die, we die. But then the opposite effect had happened now after I have come back. The way I felt when I first went into Iraq for being scared, now I am scared. Yes, this is how I'm feeling. And by kind courtesy of uh, this uh, service, the military veteran service, 
have got uh, the tools and the coping strategies that help me go along with life, which are very important to me. Just explain to me what those coping strategies are. The coping strategies uh, are the tools that uh, I use to stop me thinking about my pain, to divert my mind off the pain, because uh, what I've been taught uh, is uh, if you have chronic pain, outside factors feed into it, the pain becomes worse. And uh, one way of uh, managing that pain is uh, coping strategies. And for example, like this ball I'm holding, I use it as a coping strategy to momentarily take my mind off the pain. As I'm talking to you, I have got pain from my back to my right leg. It's sciatic pain that I'm having. Because I want to concentrate so much on uh, what we are doing and not to be distracted, I'm using this to help me stay focused rather than uh, the pain actually taking over whatever I'm talking about. You're holding a squeeze ball, a small yes. golf ball size squeeze ball. That's right. And that helps focus the pain away from you. That's right, yes. Uh, another uh, mechanism I use uh, is a grounding mechanism. Dr. Barrett was my doctor who treated me for my psychological issues and then help for the chronic pain. He described this as a grounding technique. Also, that one is basically, it helps you take your mind off the pain. It's a perfume. He said I should choose a perfume that I like best. He described it as, when you smell a perfume, how do you feel? And my answer was, some form of happiness occur momentarily. So. It's like if I'm having that uh, sort of happiness, that happiness is taking away the pains for some moment. He described it as grounding. Now it was up to me to decide which uh, perfume I will use. There is this perfume that I like that I wear most of the time, which is a Jean Paul Gaultier. But when you wear perfume for a long time, you become nose blind with that perfume. So I have to choose another perfume that I like, that I don't use often. So I remember going to a shop and I saw this uh, perfume called Hollister Jake. I liked it so much. Small bottle is quite expensive, but anytime I smell it, that sense of joy occurred to me. You see, right now, straight away after smelling it, straight away, my expression of all changed. So he used that to ground me so that I could pay attention or concentrate on the treatment he was giving me, which indeed helped so much. So that's like, I don't know what the term for it, that's visualization, but sort of olfactory visualization or something like that. It's, 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 it's smell rather than... It's smell, that's right, yes. Another way I manage my pain is... Uh, and then going on the computer. I, I, I like information rather than fiction and those things. So they keep my mind actively involved in trying to capture whatever information I want to listen to or learn from. 
even though the pain is in the background, my mind is more on those programs rather than the pain itself. Another useful tool that uh, he taught me was anytime I am stressed, it feeds into the pain cycle and it will make the pain worse. I remember telling him that I've got a lot of bank accounts and I've got passwords, but because of my psychological issues, I am unable to remember those passwords. I become so frustrated, which feeds into the pain cycle and then messes me up. So he came out with a very simple tool. Actually, it's coincidence. Uh, I've not seen him for some time. He told me to buy a small key ring that holds money, called through utility. Instead of me putting money into that, I have coded my passwords and then put them in there. So when I get to the bank or the cash machine and I forget, all I've got to do is just open it up and then get a password that I want. Nobody knows what is in there. He hasn't got any identity. All he's got is uh, numbers, and that's it. I know what I have written. It's just to aid me to, I mean, uh, remember. It is helping so much that I don't have to worry about thinking about me forgetting my passwords and then pins, thereby making me not worry to become frustrated. That will feed into my pain cycle. And it helps me so much. Every time I've been thinking about it, I said, I'm going to buy one since it has been of a very good help to me. Anytime I see Dr. Barrett, I'll give it to him to pass it on to another patient that will need it. So yeah, you are doctor. That's lovely. Yes, That's please really pass it nice. on to somebody do. who will need it. That's a really kind yes. thought there, Gabriel. Yes. Alan, Dr. Barrett, you're sitting next to us very, very quietly. It seems to me that a lot of the success that Gabriel has had has been nothing to do with medicine. It's been to do with sorting out little, little things in his life. In Gabriel's treatment, the primary difficulty was psychological trauma um, around an incident which also involved uh, physical trauma. And what tends to happen is individuals whose pain flares up, it can trigger a psychological memory and sometimes when a psychological memory is triggered, such as watching a news item or whatever, it can reconnect them with the pain experience. So what was happening was that I was losing Gabriel's attention uh, sometimes in clinic because the pain was actually causing a cognitive distraction and causing him to kind of ruminate or, or have a kind of intrusive thought or an intrusive image. So the scent is a, is a, is a particularly helpful grounding technique because it doesn't rely on your cognitive ability. You know, the nose doesn't stop smelling. So if you can put something underneath it, it's very good at kind of bringing you back to the room, the here and now, to focus on what, what we're trying to achieve. And Gabriel mentioned about stress levels impacting on one's experience of pain. And we know that psychological issues go hand in hand with pain, and it's a bit chicken and egg. So for example, having chronic pain can induce lots of emotional states. Uh, it can induce anxiety where people are fearful that what happens if I have an attack whilst out with my child or, or I collapse. So there's a lot of fear and anxiety. 
Sometimes there's a lot of anger and irritability. Some of that is in relation to sort of why me and, and being quite begrudging as to the circumstances of how the injury may have occurred. But some of it might just be uh, the pain in itself impacts on sleep and then we know that we become a little less tolerant and we become a bit more irritable. And then feelings such as guilt, um, guilt that we might be a burden onto those that care about us. And something I've noticed a lot in the veteran community in particular is this idea of almost like punishment. So there are, there are some people that we see in the service who may regret things that they've taken part in or have witnessed or maybe have failed to do in their role as a, as a sort of protective force. And they almost kind of maybe don't look after themselves as well as they could or should because they somehow feel like it's they're a bit deserving of, of, of the punishment. So we, we can never kind of ignore the fact that at any one time, one in three of our clients has probably got a pain-related condition. But there's one further point I'd like to comment on, and, and that's the non-psychological approaches to pain. Obviously, we rely quite heavily on medications and on analgesic medication. And we do see a lot of people that are on very high doses, and that does manage the pain for many of them quite successfully. However, it can impact on their cognitive processing. So we find it might slow down the thinking a little bit. Their concentration isn't as good as we might need it to be for therapy to be effective. So, in fact, some work we did with Gabriel before we did the trauma-focused element of the therapy was we spent quite a lot of time mapping the pain. And we had a bit of a pain diary, uh, an electronic SMS text message type situation where... Gabriel would get prompted at certain times of the day to kind of codify his, his pain and also document what PRN medication he may have taken, etc. And from that, we got a real pattern as to what would be the optimal time for therapy to occur. So he wasn't so badly affected cognitively from having had a large dose of painkillers, so he could think clearly. However, the pain wasn't so bad that it was interfering with the therapy. So we actually ended up picking a certain time of the day, which is quite close to where we are today now, which is why we've also scheduled the interview for now, as being almost like an optimal time for Gabriel to be able to concentrate and, and focus. Something uh, I learned as well is if you stay at home for a long time without uh, inactivity and those things, your disability becomes worse. So I try to get myself involved in activities as much as I can, even if it is just coming out of the house and then come and talk like I'm talking here. It is a form of therapy I'm receiving. It is keeping me mobile and it is making me meet people, which in turn takes my mind off the pain momentarily, which is helping me. Yeah, so that uh, I'm traveling abroad uh, on Tuesday. When I purchased the ticket, I was all right, but as the time was getting closer, I started getting anxious because uh, I kind of like um, relate my trauma in Iraq to flights because when rockets are coming in, they sound like aircrafts. Now the time is coming for me to fly. I'm having bad dreams. Because I'm having bad dreams, I have increased my activities about going out so that it will help me counteract that I go to Manchester Airport to look at the planes, land and take off, just try to convince myself that that plane is not going to crash. 
anything that is out of my control, then I become anxious. So I try to do things to try to gain some control of it. Because I am thinking about all these uh, issues of the pain crashing and things like that, I have also noticed that my pain is also going up a bit. This confirms that psychological issues fits into the pain cycle to make it worse. So I have made everything possible to try and minimize all these effects on me. Basically, Dr. Barrett has uh, laid down the foundation and I'm building up on it. Alan, Dr. Barrett, it seems to me that Gabriel's pain is no longer ruling him. He's ruling the pain. How far has he come? I think he's come incredibly far. It, it, when, when we first met, it was touch and go as to whether or not a trauma-focused uh, psychological therapy was going to help with his psychological difficulties because it was very difficult to maintain concentration during the session. Uh, sessions might have only been 20 minutes rather than a, a usual 50 minutes, so we, we played around with the kind of pacing of sessions. So the fact that we invested the time to, you know, to kind of create an optimal opportunity for therapy to be beneficial uh, was a good investment. And I think what we found we did is that we, we started with some of the psychological difficulties, which were quite pronounced. And then once they lessened in uh, severity and chronicity, we switched over and did some sessions looking at the pain and kind of tried to titrate down the pain and then when the trauma became the bigger thing again we went back to the psychological and then we went back to the physical and gradually in a kind of stepped way we got to a stage where the pain was manageable and the psychological therapy had gone as far as we would have expected it to have got at, at that stage and what I've just heard Gabriel talking quite a lot about is, is about attention and I guess you know we think about pain we think about it's very good at drawing our attention and obviously if we attend to it too much we get drawn into it and we start ruminating about it and we start remembering that we can't do things etc. So it sounds like from a behavioural point of view and also from a cognitive distraction point of view Gabriel's become uh, quite expert in noticing that the pain has got his attention, become aware that that's what's happening and made an active decision to then sort of switch his mind to you know rather than focusing on the pain for half an hour he's going to go online and look at some news stories of a topic that interests him and and at the end of that half hour he's 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 got some kind of added benefit he's not really thought about the pain but he's also you know maybe learnt uh, some new information which uh, helps him greatly anyway what i'm thinking is that for gabriel and other military veterans who are recommended to go for psychological support. Mm -hmm. I may be giving them a great injustice, but I wouldn't have thought they're touchy-feely people. And being offered support from a psychologist might make them, I mean, it, 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 it takes a bit of time to get that into your head that uh, you're not mad. It does, and I, th I, think, I think we know, and the reason that a service like Anne exists is because we don't really see the number of ex-military personnel in mainstream sort of mental health or psychology services in numbers that we might expect. So there is a problem in accessing 
services and we, we you know we've done a lot of engagement work with the, the armed forces community and it's a combination it's a combination of there are service factors so if you're you've been self-medicating to manage your difficulties by maybe drinking too much alcohol for example then some mainstream services might exclude you from accessing their therapy but there's also a lot of barriers located within the individual veteran themselves and that sometimes is about not really understanding what psychological therapies is all about and kind of maybe making very ill-informed associations with maybe some bad TV programs about mental illness. But also there's, there is the kind of pride and stigma issue in terms of if you've enlisted to one of the armed forces and, and you re- very much identify yourself with being a very physically powerful, fit, potent individual who helps others, it's a real shift in identity to even accept that you're no longer that person and the fact that maybe a you might need help and b you you might now be vulnerable so we do see a lot of veterans in particular struggling with the new identity of what it is to be somebody living with uh, long-term pain because they can feel physically vulnerable i mean i think we've heard gabriel mention that that even when you go outside the house you don't feel as confident as you used to feel you feel vulnerable, you feel like, what would I do if somebody maybe attacked me or whatever, what would I do if some some incident happened now and I wouldn't be able to perform to keep my children safe and things like that. So I I, I understand that it's difficult for ex-military personnel to come forward and and, uh, consider a psychological approach. But as I said earlier, the side effects of pain does cause a lot of psychological difficulties such as low mood, anxiety, irritability and they in turn can magnify the perception of pain so therefore to treat pain successfully I think really individuals should always seek a psychological component because even things such as social support available in the house or modifications that your employer is willing to make they're not medical interventions they are kind of social interventions psychological interventions and we do know from people's subjective feedback is that they do actually help people be better able to manage their pain. Gabriel what would you say to your former colleagues who don't know about this service what advice would you give? The first thing I'd like to say is uh, it's indeed it's very difficult to own up to say that you have got a psychological difficulty because uh, one, the military and psychological issues go at loggerheads. The moment the military knows that you have got a mental health problem, it is automatic discharge, no compromise with that. So soldiers who are fighting psychological issues within the army, they tend to hide it because they want to carry on within the army. The other issue is uh, you are trained as a soldier. Even if you are broken, you have to keep going. I have experienced this myself. I was having this issue in Iraq. Doctors were seeing this. I was in serious denial. There's nothing wrong with me. They wanted to send me back. I said I didn't want to come back. I was forced back. Even when I was forced back, I was not admitting psychological issues because it is my physical problems that was overshadowing the whole thing. 
My advice to the military, uh, I mean, veterans or people who are still serving, who have got psychological issues or, I mean, pain issues that are psychologically, I mean, uh, I mean, affected. All I can tell them is, the longer you keep your problem, the more difficult it becomes to treat. Gabriel mentioned about when the military find out that you've got a mental health problem, their reactions isn't always ideal. I have to say now in their defence that certainly recently there's a lot more attention given to the mental well-being of forces personnel. I mean, if you go on the MOD website, there's lots of links now talking, saying things like it's okay to talk and stress management courses. So the culture, I'd like to think, is shifting. We see people from all kinds of conflicts, from you know historic conflicts where maybe that wasn't their experience at the time but there are mental health services in, in in the MOD you know some people don't have good experience of them some people get a great service it's a bit like any other service really where there's there's kind of good and bad and there's some barriers in the, in the individual or, or the infrastructure locally which might not be represented somewhere else in the country I tried to hide my disability I had insurance this is why I don't blame the insurance company in a way, because I was hiding my condition. I was presenting it a bit like I was all right. So the insurance company was like thinking that I was faking my issue. Eventually, I mean, uh, the case was in my favor because this is me suffering but trying to present myself outside as if I was not. Even now, at home, I don't like to present myself as if I am disabled because I don't want anybody to capitalize on my vulnerability. I have got blue badge. I never display my blue badge at home. I will never do it. The car I drive, they put mobility stickers and everything there. I remove all of them because I do not want to present myself as a vulnerable person. I will only use it when I have to use it, when there is no way of hiding it, I will not. That's how. It's a stigma, but I want people to see me as normal, yes. I think it is a good idea if you're uh, certainly a military veteran with a physical injury that's attributable to your service. As Gabriel's pointed out, it's a really good idea to keep very good records and copies of documents, letters, reports, because you will be required to provide them if you're seeking any kind of compensation or insurance claim, which obviously you have to have before you get deployed, because the people who are supposed to hold these reports don't always produce them at these hearings. So it's a, it's, it's a very good tip to keep hold of your uh, copies of your own medical records. Because I did not complete my tour, I still have not got any closure, proper closure of my situation. Even though I am hearing the news that the conflict is over, my head is not accepting that. And the only way I think I should be able to have proper closure on this matter is to go to Iraq myself and then see it for myself that there is peace. The, the rockets are not coming in anymore. But at the same time, I am scared of going. But I am not having these nightmares of the rockets coming in and things like that now.
That's Gabriel Gadico speaking to me at the Pennine Military Veteran Service. I'll just remind you that whilst we in Pain Concern believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you, your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. Don't forget that you can download all editions and transcripts of Airing Pain from Pain Concern's website, which is painconcern.org.uk. Now, there are services like the Pennine Military Veteran Service throughout the UK, and there are links to help you find them and other non-NHS services on Pain Concern's website. Once again, it's painconcern.org.uk. So who's eligible for these services? Dr Alan Barrett. The primary aim of a service like OUND is to support the psychological needs of anybody who is a, uh, a military veteran. Now the Department of Health definition of a veteran is anybody who has served in the armed forces for a minimum of one day. So that's actually a very large proportion of people, and including those older adults who've taken part in um, you know, national service, they would also be included. Those that are in the reserves, uh, the, formerly the Territorial Army, they're all eligible to come forward and seek specialist services like ours. As I said at the beginning, we don't specialise in pain, but we specialise in, in psychological difficulties that are attributable to your service. So, for example, if you've got a psychological injury because of things you may have witnessed or experienced in a war zone, then you're very much eligible for a service like ours. But equally, if you've got a physical pain injury that's as a consequence of your military service, which in turn is now manifest in a, in a constellation of psychological difficulties, we will offer help for that as well. And people literally can self-refer, have any professional make a referral on their behalf, and they can do that either on, on the website or via telephone. Just put into a search engine, Pennine Care Military Veterans, and we cover the northwest of England, and we're happy to point people to their local service nationally.